morning. And thank you for making room in this sanctuary for more people. But God bless you guys. Thank you for being in the house this morning. And uh, we got a great, great word for you, I think. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to somebody. So this is Melody Laguton coming to the stage right now. She is one of our awesome campus missionaries. She's got some fans in the house, apparently. Uh, but this is Melody. She's one of our campus missionaries. You know, here at Pearlside Church, you know, we, we really value reaching the next generation. And Melody, over the last several years, has dedicated herself to uh, reaching out to students on the middle school and high school campus. And, uh, but now is a season for a bit of a transition. Will you, I want you to update us and give us a little bit of an encouragement as you share. All right. Thank you, Pastor Billy. Um, like Pastor Billy said, my name is Melody, and I am planning, I'm actually going to move to Vietnam in about two and a half weeks. Amen. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> I think some of our students are in here. That's why they groaned. But um, it's a good thing. I really, I'll start from the beginning. Um, about 10 years ago, I was coming out of a relationship where I just, that's where I found my worth. That's where I found my identity. And when that relationship ended, I felt like my life was over. But thank God that I have a sister, my younger sister. She had been reached when she was in the college here, um, the college ministry. And she had been praying for me all these years. And then finally, um, she brought me to church, you know. And I, I just kind of was like, okay, my life is over. But as I just discovered who God was, he showed me that I can have a new life in him and through him. And, and so I found my purpose, my true purpose, and um, been getting to... Um, Actually, sorry, there's a lot more people in this one than the last one. But <laughs> You're doing fine. Um, so <laughs> it, was a, it was a mission meeting that um, Pearlside used to have, and they would show all of the mission trips that they would go to in that year. And I was thinking that I would go and maybe visit Japan because it's somewhere I always wanted to go. So it would be like a mission trip disguise, or a, 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 sorry, a vacation disguise disguised as a mission trip. Nobody does that. Nobody does yeah. that. Nobody but God showed me that nobody, he doesn't let that happen. So what happened was when the picture for Vietnam popped up, my stomach sank. And I've never, you know, felt like that. I didn't eat anything weird that morning. But so I talked to my small group leader and she's like, that's the Holy Spirit. You have to go and obey. You have to do something about it. And so I did. And God allowed me to go on that mission trip. I got to see people who I don't understand Vietnamese. I'm not Vietnamese, by the way. Um, and I got to experience in a small little garage where they're worshiping God in a totally different language. I got to share about my, um, my testimony, and I got to see people come to know who God is. And, and as I came home, I would go back every, I went back five years for short-term mission trips, but I really felt like God is calling me back there is everything that I experienced here, everything I learned here, he wants me to go and share it there. The healing, the forgiveness that I, that I learned here, that I received from God here, he wants me to go and bring it there. And so that's what I'll get to do pretty soon. Very soon. Yeah. Amen. You can give her a hand for that. In fact, two weeks. Our fans are in the back there. Um, you bought your ticket. 
You're going to get on that plane and you're going to go. And, the, and you know, I, Mel, Mel, Melody was so instrumental in our youth ministry. You know, right? Many, many people don't know this, but we have a, a pretty awesome, I think, youth ministry here at Pearlside. We always have. And, and uh, about 100 or so uh, students were here on Friday night. Uh, we had about 15 baseball players from Milani High School just kind of showed up. And God's doing something among the next generation. And Melody's been instrumental in leading us through that and helping us to get to where we are. So it's really exciting. Um, she also has been discipling a lot of young women. I think we have a couple of pictures. Um, that is the, her goodbye small group where she said goodbye to all of them, and they were all crying ugly tears Thursday night is what I heard. And uh, one of them was my daughter, so I'm par partially um, saddened by that as well. And, you know, when I heard Mel Melody was leaving, I was like, no, she can't go. She needs to stay and disciple my daughter. But uh, <laughs> in fact, my, da my daughter was like, why does she have to go? I said, because there's people in Vietnam that she needs to reach. Well, we need her too. I was like, you know, well, you know. But, um, but Melody, you made such a great impact. You've made a difference in, in a lasting legacy in a lot of these young girls. And that's why they're back there cheering you on. Amen. And, um, but we want to pray for you as you get ready to go. Because I believe that she's setting an example that we're not called to just be comfortable. Right? A lot of people say, why are you leaving the comforts of Hawaii? You can get fud on the street. You, know, you don't need to go all the way to Hanoi to do that. But, but that's the call of God. We're not called to be comfortable. We're called to extend ourselves for the sake of other people. Amen. So you do me a favor. We stretch forth your hands towards Melody. We're going to pray for her and uh, just believe the blessing of God is going to come upon us. So Father, we thank you for Melody today. God, that she's willing to take this step of faith into the unknown and into discomfort and, and possibly even hardship and challenges to reach people that she's never even met, a people that aren't even her own, God, but you've called them to be her own. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would bless her with everything that she needs to accomplish everything that you've called her to do. We thank you in advance for the provision. We thank you in advance for the open doors and opportunities. We thank you in advance for the right relationships and people that you'll bring her way to open up doors into, into communities and families, even schools and campuses, God, that, that entire generations are going to be transformed by the gospel because she said yes and she went. And so, Father, we just pray that you bless her abundantly so that she can continue to be a blessing now out on the mission field. We thank you for her. We commission her. We release her with faith and the blessing of God as she goes. We pray this today in the name of Jesus and everyone said together. Amen and amen. Can we give a hand one more time for Melody? Awesome. Thank you. <clears throat> I also want to just encourage some of us, you know, maybe you have a heart for, for the nation of Vietnam, but you can't yourself go. You know, one of the ways is you can partner with her. Um, all of our campus missionaries and overseas missionaries are, are self-funded, meaning they raise partner, uh, support through ministry partners like you and I. And, um, and so if you want to be a part of what she's doing, you can go and talk to her after the service is over. But it's one of the ways that we can together sow into the gospel being spread around the world. Amen? Which should be all of our hearts. Can I hear a strong amen to that? Amen, amen. And uh, thankfully, that she's raised up some great young women to help lead uh, um, the, these girls that she's, she's not going to be around for, especially my daughter. Thank you for raising up strong young leaders. Amen. Um, well, we are continuing our series this morning, Set Apart. And in this series, we've been unpacking the holiness of God and, and what that means, getting to know more about who he is and who we are in relationship to him. And how we should live in response to God's holiness. Over the last couple of weeks, we unpacked the holiness of God. The reality that, that all of God's blessings and his provision that he intended from the very beginning is found in his presence. When we're in relationship with him. But we also saw last week, and by the way, if you miss any of it, you can go online and catch up with us. But uh, not right now, obviously, when you go home. Um, but we also saw that sin separates us from God. 
and sets us apart from a relationship with him so that we don't experience the best that he has for us. It's one of the reasons why we, we look at our communities and maybe even look at our own lives and we turn on the news and rather than seeing the very good that God intended, we see very bad. Anybody see very bad when you look out there? And the reason is because sin has separated us from God's presence and the fullness of blessing that comes from him is separated from us. The good news is God made a way for us to be brought into relationship with him. But for us to fully understand this, we need to dive a little bit deeper this morning. So this morning, I want to open up with this statement, and then we'll read our, our, our opening text today. And it's this, our sins must be cleansed for us to come into a relationship with God. Our sins must be cleansed for us to come into a relationship with God. And sin, if you're new to church or you're new this morning, is simply, as we said last week, missing the mark or falling short. God gives us what it, what it means to be a human here in this book. And all of us have fallen short of the standards of God. And what that does then is it sets us apart from God. It sets us apart from his blessing. And it sets us apart from the ability to truly be the people that he's called for us to be. That's what sin essentially is. It's not just, you know, making a mistake or smoking cigarettes, okay? It, those things are sin because they set us apart from the blessing of God. So our sins must be cleansed for us to come into a relationship with God. Leviticus chapter 16 is going to be our text this morning. I know some of you are thinking, wow, that's an obscure passage. And you'll see why it's here in just a moment. Leviticus chapter 16 is found in the Old Testament of the Bible, or, or also known as the Old Covenant, or the Book of the Law. And in it, what you find very often when you read through the Old Testament is a ton of imagery, a lot of symbolism and ceremony and rituals. And all of this symbolism and ceremony is meant to point to very real spiritual realities that affect our lives every single day. And the more we can understand these spiritual realities, the more we can walk with God in a right way, as I hope you'll see this morning. Leviticus chapter 16 begins uh, with this explanation uh, of this, 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 this certain ritual. It says this, this is how Aaron, or the high priest, his name was Aaron, is to enter into the most holy place, or where the presence of God was. I think we have that scripture up on screen. There it is. Okay. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. This is all ceremonial washing stuff. Verse five, from the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. He is to take some of the bull's blood with his finger, sprinkle it in the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover in front of it. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood was brought to the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned up. Then... Before the Lord, you'll be clean from all your sins. Can we pray this morning before we study this word? Father, we invite your presence. Help us to understand what you want us to know from this, God. Help us to see you more clearly and to see ourselves more clearly as well. Help us to see Jesus in the midst of all of this, who is our ultimate sacrifice. But we thank you for your word that shines a light on your holiness and a light on your love for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
and amen. What is up with that passage that I just read? <laughs> Bulls, goats, blood, sprinkling, I mean, linen garments. I mean, it's kind of weird, right? And that's why you don't hear a lot of people preach out of the book of Levit Leviticus. If you've ever tried to read through it, your eyes probably rolled over a couple of times and said, I'm going to read something else. Or maybe I'll watch some TV because of stuff like this. But it's very important. Because as I said earlier, the Bible has a lot of symbolic imagery that points to very real spiritual realities that affect our lives every single day. And this is probably one of the most significant ones because the ritual that is being described here is, is a ritual known as the Day of Atonement or in the Jewish language, Yom Kippur, where once a year, the Jewish priest, the high priest, in this case Aaron, would perform this ritual so that he can enter into the direct presence of God and perform sacrifices to cleanse the community of all of its sins. God is holy, and because of sin, he can no longer dwell in the presence of fallen human beings like he intended to in the beginning. Now he would, would limit his presence in this place in the temple, and I'll explain why in just a second. And so once a year, the priest is able to enter into that place, make atonement for the sins of the community, and this ceremony prepares the priest to be able to do his job. This is a very important ceremony to deal with all of our sins, to get it washed away so that we can experience the presence of God and be blessed by God, it's not a small task. And that's what this ritual is all about, okay? And as I said, all these rituals are pointing to very real spiritual realities that can be summarized in the statement once again, our sins must be cleansed for us to come into a relationship with God. If all of God's blessings... His goodness, his joy, his love, his righteousness, his hope, his peace, his healing, his mercy, all of that is found in his presence, which it is, then we need to be able to come into the presence of God. The problem is our sins set us apart from God and hinder us from being able to come into his presence. It's one of the reasons why when we turn on the news, rather than seeing all the goodness and the joy that, that the Bible says we, sh we should be experiencing, we're seeing the exact opposite. Because our sins, collectively humanity's sins and individually yours and mine's, make it difficult and impossible for us to fully enter into the blessing and the goodness of God. Sin's a problem, you see that? And therefore we need to have our sins cleansed so that we can enter into his presence. And so this whole ceremony is about the cleansing of sin so that we can enter into the presence of God. Think about it, even the priest needed to offer a sacrifice before he could enter into the presence of God. Why is that? Because God is just that holy. He is so holy that he cannot be in the presence of sin. In fact, there is an example found in Leviticus 10. You can go ahead and read it later on. Where two priests, sadly they were the sons of Aaron, tried to enter into the presence of God without first doing the right ceremonial cleansing for their own sins. They entered into the temple, thought they were going to do their thing, and fire came out from God and consumed them on the spot, turned them to ash. And you go, well, that's a bit harsh. But you have to understand something, God is holy and we are not, amen? And if we, unredeemed, think we're gonna enter into the presence of a holy God without consequences, we're deluding ourselves. It's kinda like this, how many of us know you can't stare directly at the sun? You know that, right? Okay, some of you look confused. You cannot stare directly at the sun, okay? Do not go outside and try this at home. <laughs> the first service is like, oh, yeah, don't do it, okay? Don't try this at home. But you cannot stare directly at the sun. Now, is it because the sun is mean and gets offended if you stare at it? Like, oh, bro, are you staring at me? You know what I mean? Like, give me stink eye. It's not because the sun is mean or insecure. Why are you looking at me? It's because the sun is pure light. And our human eyes cannot stare into that level of light without there being damage. 
Your retinas will burn. It's called solar retinopathy, and you can and will probably go blind if you stare directly at the sun. It's because we're not designed in our human fallen temporary state to stare at such power and glory. You follow what I'm saying? Well, similarly, God is pure light. He is pure holiness, even more powerful than the sun. And we cannot come into his presence in our fallen human state and not expect there to be things that get burnt up. In fact, God is so holy that wherever he is burns up and dispels sin. It will destroy sin. It's kind of like this. When you turn on the lights in a place, darkness flees. You notice that? It's pretty immediate. Have you noticed when you woke up this morning, you turn on your lights, boom, you know? Or at least I did because it was dark when I left the house. There's no fight. The darkness doesn't wrestle against the light. It just vanishes because light is that powerful. That's what happens with sin. In the presence of God, it gets consumed. It gets burnt up. And that's one of the reasons why we cannot, as fallen, sinful human beings, enter into the presence of God without first being cleansed or redeemed. We will be consumed like the sons of Aaron. In fact, the Bible does say that one day God will return in his full glory, and this earth, heaven and earth, will be consumed. It will pass away. It will be consumed, the Bible says, by fire. Now, is it because God is mean? No, it's because he's holy. It's because he's holy. And so what does God do? He hides himself or he limits his presence, not because he's hiding and being mean, but because he's being merciful. Because if God were to show up in his full glory, all sin, sinners, and this fallen earth would be burned up. So he's not hiding himself because he's trying to hide. He's, he's hiding himself out of mercy and not wanting to yet fully judge sin. I've had a lot of people over the years say, why doesn't God just reveal himself? You know what I mean? If God's real, show up right now. I said, you don't know what you're asking. Because if God were to show up in front of you right now, you would be consumed. You would be burnt up like the sons of Aaron. You don't realize what you're asking. Why doesn't God show up and reveal himself to humanity? Because humanity would be consumed because he is holy like staring at the sun. So he limits himself. And his desire is to reveal himself through us, which we'll get, which we'll get to in a moment, so that he, people can see the goodness of God through you and I. But for now, he limits his presence. And he does it because of love. It's kind of like this. I woke up this morning, and it was super dark. I got up at like 4.30. That's a whole other story. And I was, you know, getting ready and all that kind of thing. And so I leave the lights off, and I try to be really quiet when I'm walking through the house because ah, I got little people sleeping. You know what I mean? I, I don't want them to sleep. I want them to get their rest. And also because I don't want them to be cranky later on. So we'll let you sleep, okay? So I'm like tiptoeing through the house. I turn on the flashlight on my watch, and I'm just trying to get my things together. And I kick this thing. I don't even know what I kicked, Tony. It was just in the middle of the night. I kicked it, and I was like, ah! I was like, you know, because I was trying to hold it in. And I got super mad in that moment because I'm like, this is my house. I should be able to walk around as loud as I want, turn on all the lights. I pay the bills. I pay the mortgage. I should be able to walk around. I don't care if you're waking up in the middle of the night because ah, this is my house. You know, I kind of got kind of annoyed. But I thought about it. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not fully being present and in my full glory, so to speak, because I, I, I'm trying to protect them. Let them rest and sleep. It's similar to God. He limits his presence in his creation for our benefit. Because if he were to show up in his full glory, all sin and sinners would be consumed. The Bible says God is not slow as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. And that's why he limits his presence, because he's just that holy. In his presence, sin and sinners cannot exist. And so he limits his presence for our benefit. That's how holy he is. And so in order to enter into his presence, we need to be cleansed. And then this whole system of elaborate animal sacrifice that we just read about here, and this is just one, by the way, of 12 different uh, types of offerings that were presented in the Old Testament. 
And you notice animals were quite involved in this, right? And, um, you know, if you've ever asked your question, why is animal sacrifice such a big deal in the Bible? You know, like, why does that really matter? I got, I got three reasons for you. Number one, can you imagine you were the person that had to do that animal sacrifice? Have you ever seen a bull? Those things are not small animals, you know what I mean, like a chihuahua or something. Like, it's the size of a car, if you've ever seen a full-sized bull. And the types of bulls that they would have offered for the, for the sin of the priest at Yom Kippur would have been the best, the fattest, the healthiest, the beefiest, probably this ginormous animal. And Aaron the priest would have had to bring that bull by himself, by the way, he didn't have helpers, lead it into the place of the altar, and he'd have to kill it himself. Now, if you've ever seen any type of animal slaughter, and for all the, you know, animal-loving people, I'm sorry, but this is just how it is, okay? Blood would have gone everywhere. It wouldn't have been a little bit of blood. It would have been pools of blood flowing down the altar, down the steps, and out into likely where the community was. And then it says he would have had to skin that animal, gut that animal, sprinkle blood here. I mean, it would have been everywhere. I mean, where else would you not need to sprinkle the blood? And then he'd have to take the hide and the guts and all this and then burn it up in this kind of sacrifice. That's kind of an artist's rendition. And that's a small little thing. I should have found one with a giant bull anyway. That's like a shih tzu kind of a bull anyway. Um, Maltese. Um, right? But you imagine how gross that would have been. Can you imagine how gory that scene would have been? And then all the other offerings, I mean, people, there, there are offerings where you would have to bring your own goat or your own bull, and here's what you would do. You would have to lay your hands on that animal, likely an animal you raised, by the way, right? You don't go to the goat store. You raise it in your own flock. So you raise this goat or this bull that you've had for its whole life, and you lay your hands on it, and in faith, you're transferring your sins to this animal, and then you slaughter it yourself. The grotesqueness of this animal sacrifice points to the reality that that's how bad sin is. Sin is so bad that it requires the slaughter of this innocent animal, the separation of all of its parts and its intestines and blood, and then you gotta burn it up. That's because of your sin. Aaron the priest would have had to do that. This is because of my sin and the sins of this community. And everyone would see that. You would bring your own goat, your own whatever, and slaughter it there because of your sin. And that poor innocent animal has to suffer and die and be dismembered and disemboweled because of your sin. And what that's supposed to communicate to us is that's how bad sin is. It leads to death. It leads to death of innocence. Sin isn't just a small thing where we go, I'm sorry, God, my bad. You know, I, I didn't mean to you know, do that or think that. No, it leads to death. It leads to death of relationships. It leads to death of, of marriages. It leads to death in communities. It leads to physical death. It will lead to your mental health death. It leads to death. And all of this gore. And can you imagine when the whole community brought their animals? Piles of intestines and skin and heaps of blood communicates that's your sin. Did that to these innocent animals. And it should bring us to this place of repentance before a holy God. God, I'm sorry that my selfishness resulted in that level of death. God, I'm sorry that my pride and my lust and my arrogance and my attitude resulted in that much death. That's what it's meant to communicate. Your sin is just that bad. It's that an innocent animal had to suffer for you and for me. The animal sacrifice was also important because animals were the most valuable possession that a person had back in that day. I did a couple of studies and found that a bull would have 
been worth the equivalent of anywhere between six and $10,000 to this day. Now that's an old study that I read. So if you adjust for inflation, especially the last couple of years, you might be up to 10 to $20,000, especially how expensive cars are nowadays anyway. But that's a lot of money because of your sin. You're taking one of your most prized possessions, possibly a third of your annual net worth, and you're slaughtering it on that altar. Remember, animals weren't pets. They were, they were food, they were, they, were, they were tools, they were your tractors, they were your transportation. You were sacrificing a lot because of your sin. The most valuable thing you own, you had to destroy because of sin, pride, arrogance, lust, anger, whatever it may be. Again, costly, sin is costly. And then thirdly, life is in the blood. Why is animal sacrifice required? Because life is in blood and, it, and for our lives to be redeemed, it costs another life. And that's what all of this ritual symbolic nature was all about, to, to f- illustrate the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Just so that the priest could enter into the presence of God and offer sacrifices for the community. That's what all of this was required. Now, thankfully for us, we don't need to perform animal sacrifices. Amen? You don't have to go to the pet store and grab a couple of rodents and be like, all right, what do I need to do, Pastor? You know what I mean? You don't have to bring your puppy and be like, I love this thing, but I'm so sorry. Okay, thank God we don't have to do that. Amen? Or this place would be really gross if we had to do that. We wouldn't put carpet, that's for sure. Thankfully for us, we don't need to perform animal sacrifices, and here's the reason why. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are justified, made righteous before God once and for all. Somebody should have said a strong amen to that. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are justified or made righteous before God once and for all. It was always God's plan that the system of animal sacrifices and and rituals was just going to be temporary until the fullness of time when God could send his son to be the ultimate sacrifice in our place. And when Jesus went to the cross, he finished this whole system of sacrifices for us once and for all. And somebody should say... He fulfilled the requirements of the law for us. He became the ultimate and final sacrifice for you and for me. His suffering, his death, his being butchered on the cross was so that we could stand before God righteous once and for all. Look at what the the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 7. Now there have been many of those priests, again speaking of the Old Testament priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede or or pray for them. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus was the final sacrifice. And in fact, around 70 AD, when the Romans tore down the Jewish temple, no more sacrifices could have been made anyway as a sign that Jesus was the final sacrifice that needed to be made. And in fact, he himself prophesied that that would end up happening. Look at what Colossians 1.21 says. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, that's what sin is, But now he has reconciled you, reconciled you to who? To God, by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out to you in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We were alienated from God because of our sins, set apart from God, remember? 
but we've been brought close and reconciled through Christ's physical body. That's why the sacrifice of Jesus matters. That's why as we celebrate Christmas and then later Easter coming up soon, it's about this sacrifice. And when Jesus went to the cross, that was the final and ultimate sacrifice. One more verse, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and the word justified means made righteous. You can think of it like this, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. We've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace by which we now stand. What access is he talking about? We can enter into the presence of God, not for fear, not in fear that we will be consumed by his holiness. We can now have access to the presence of God because we've been made holy by the blood of Jesus. You see that? We don't have to fear coming into his presence. We don't have to worry, oh my God, is he going to be mad at me because of my sins? No, we can come confidently before God because we've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the access that you and I now have. Not just once a year like the priests did. Not just after having done all these elaborate rituals and sacrificing a whole bunch of stuff. No, we come to God confidently because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. That's what Christianity is all about. We have access now to God who saves us for eternal life in heaven. And we have access now for the blessings of God to flow in our lives as we walk with him on earth. It's an amazing, amazing gift of God's grace, amen, that we did not earn and we certainly do not deserve. We didn't earn Jesus going to the cross for us. We didn't bring him to the altar and kill him. He did that willingly for you and I. We just simply receive what he did for us in faith, amen? And that alone should be, should be eternally worthy of our worship. It's why we sing to him, because he did that for us. It's why we live for him, because he did that for us. It's why we serve others in the community and go on mission trips and give our lives for the gospel, because he did that for us. But he didn't just do that for us. He did that for the whole world. Just people don't know about it yet. And how selfish would it be if we had this good news and we kept it to ourselves? Because it's free. It was free for us. Shouldn't we freely give that and share that with others? I don't know about you. I have some friends that I follow on like Facebook or Twitter and stuff. And every now and then they post like coupon codes. Anybody have friends like that? Like, oh, you can get 50% off this massage gun or, you know, 50% off this light that blows air and you can charge your phone, you know. And, and like sometimes I'm like, you know, I don't need that. But it feels like I got something secret. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, you're giving me this secret code. I feel like I should buy it because, like, who else has access to this secret code? You know, so I love following certain people. And I have random stuff that I don't need because of that. But, you know, the reason why we can share stuff like that is because it's free. They didn't pay for that code. It's not going to hurt them. They already got their lamp that blows air. You know what I mean? But now... I can freely share that gift with you because they got it for free. How selfish would it be if, if we kept the code to ourselves? I know how to experience life. I know how to experience eternal life. It was given to me for free, but I ain't telling nobody. <laughs> Figure it out yourself, right? And sometimes that's how Christians can be. This amazing gift of God's grace, we, we didn't earn. Maybe you think you earned it. That's why you don't want to share it. But we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It was offered to us by his grace. How much more then should we freely give it? Share it with others so that they too can experience the grace and the love of God. But it was because of what Jesus did for us. We don't have to bring our goats. We don't have to bring our, our stuff. We just bring ourselves before the cross and look at the finished work and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did, for saving me. And now I want to live a life so that other people can see you as well.
so that other people can experience that gift. And all of us have, have, most of us in this room at least have already experienced some of the transforming grace of God in our lives. We're not perfect, but man, we're better than we used to be. You know what, that's part of God's grace as well. And he wants others to experience that gift of his grace. It's one of the reasons why, if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and by the way, if you haven't seen it, highly encourage you to go and watch that movie, maybe not with little kids around, um, because it's pretty gory and graphic. The makers of that movie went to great lengths to study what crucifixion was really like and depicted it in its most gory details. And um, I want to encourage you to watch that. And I remember when I was watching that movie, it's now, now, now a bit of an old movie, but I remember just watching Jesus get beaten, tortured, nailed to that cross. And I remember sitting there going, God, why was it so bad? Like, couldn't you just like, you know, shoot him in the head, you know, just be done with it or, you know, poison the guy? Why torture him all night long? And then have him nailed to that cross and slowly suffocate and bleed to death in full view of his mom who watched him suffer the whole time. Why? Why did it have to be so bad? And I felt the Holy Spirit drop in my heart because that's how bad sin is. That's how costly sin is. That he had to bear the full weight of all of humanity's sins in that moment. But he did it willingly for you and for me. I remember when the Holy Spirit dropped that on my heart, that's how bad sin is. I just started crying right there in the movie theater. And I think it was like the third time I'd seen it too. And I just started crying in the movie theater because I realized, I, I thought about my sin, my selfishness, my pride, my arrogance, my anger, my whatever. He did that for me, but he also did that for you. He also did that for the sins of the world, amen? And that's why we come to church not to seek his blessing, but to thank him for the blessing he's already given us. Not to seek his favor, but to give, gra give gratitude and thanks for the favor he's given us and saving us. Because if that's all he ever did for us, that alone is worthy of our worship forever. Amen? If he never answers another prayer that you and I pray, he is worthy forever of our worship. And sometimes we limit God. We say, well, I'll worship you if you do this for me. I'll worship you if you do that. I'll do this if you do that for me. Can I just say that's selfish? and short-sighted. Oh my God, he delivered us from sin. Oh my God, he allowed himself to be butchered on behalf of your sins and mine. He doesn't, he doesn't owe us anything. He's already given us everything that we don't deserve. And in response, we should give him our lives in worship back to him, amen? That's his holiness. See, holiness isn't just I'm, I'm perfect and righteous. Holiness is I'm good. And he's, in his goodness, he gave of himself on the cross. That's how good and holy this God of the Bible is. Amen? And that alone is worthy of all of our worship. It's why we come to church. It's why we serve. It's why we give. It's why we share the gospel. It's why we plant churches. It's why we go on mission trips. Because we want the world to know about this amazing God that saved us from the penalty of sin and death. Praise God. Somebody give thanks to God in this place this morning. Amen. Thank you, God. And Lord, we're sorry that we take you for granted. God, we're sorry that we, we think it a small thing what you did for us. God, we're sorry that we live such arrogant, selfish, entitled lives at times when we deserve to be filleted and butchered like those animals for our selfishness and pride, what we do to one another, what we do in our communities. God, but thank you for loving us too much to allow that to happen. Thank you for dying for us, for saving us. Help us now to live a life of worship and response.
I'm only halfway done with the message. I so anyway. If that was the end of the story, that would be enough. Amen. He saved us. Praise God. We got your get out of jail free card. You got your get out of hell free card. You got your pass to heaven free card because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus doesn't just want to transform us so we can go to heaven. He wants to save us so that we can bring heaven to earth. Oh, this is an important point that a lot of Christians miss. It's not just about going to heaven. It's not just about give me what I need so that I can go to heaven when I die. We're called to bring heaven to earth with our lives. And that's why it doesn't end with justification. Amen. Through, the work, through Jesus, this is my next point, the work of the Spirit sanctifies us to live righteously on earth. He wants us to live righteous lives on this earth. Not so that we can go to heaven. If you receive Jesus, you're already justified. You got your heaven card, okay? We want to be sanctified so we can bring heaven to earth through our lives. Why do we need to deal with our pride, our lust, our anger, our unforgiveness, our selfishness, whatever it is? It's so that people can see Jesus through you and through me. So that when people get around us, we can bring a little bit of heaven to earth through our lives. It's not just, well, I'm safe so I can live however I want. I know Jesus, I'm going to heaven. That is the bottom. We're called to bring heaven to earth, so we need to allow him to work in us, to change us and transform us. Look at Philippians chapter 2 says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only so in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. How many of you would say, yeah, we're living in that time now. But watch this. Then... You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. What is he talking about here? The Apostle Paul is not describing justification. That happens when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and we put our sins on him on the cross. That's where salvation comes from. What he's talking about is this process of sanctification, which means now being set apart or the process of transformation where we get the sins in our lives worked out, not so that we can go to heaven, but so that we can bring heaven to earth. We go to heaven because of the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Make no mistake about that. We don't earn our salvation. What we, we don't work for our salvation. What we're working for here is our transformation. When he says work out your salvation, he doesn't mean try to earn it. What he means is take the salvation that God has given you and now work it into every area of your life. We have to take that salvation, that transformation that God has given to us, that we're no longer going to hell but heaven and bring heaven to earth in every area of our life. We need to work it out in our relationships. We need to work it out in the way we treat people, in the way we live, and all this kind of stuff, right? Here's an illustration of that. Any, any bakers in the house this morning? Bakers? You bake stuff? Anything? Okay, good. I'm not a baker, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know a few bakers and I've watched some YouTube videos. All right, so here's what you, know, you, you gotta do. Like, you don't just take some flour, some eggs, some butter, some whatever, and just like throw it in a bowl and then put it in the oven and expect a beautiful cake to come out, right? What do you have to do? You have to like mash it all together, right? You mash it all together, you get your blender or whatever. <laughs> That's an old school blender. You know, you, you whatever, you, don't, you, you, you gotta work it real hard. <laughs> I remember my grandma had one of those, I hated that thing. Stuff's flying everywhere and nothing's happening because it's so slow. Anyway, but you have to work it all out, right? You don't want to pull that thing out of the oven. There's like a big lump of butter right in the middle, the eggs off to the side, the chocolate chips are over here, the flour, right? No, you have to work it together and work those ingredients into every part of the dough. Isn't that the goal? Bakers, help me out here. Yes, that's what you do. Yes, thank you. You have to work it into every part of the dough. Well, that's what he's talking about. 
The salvation you receive is not just like clump on top of your life. You need to work it into every area. Again, into our relationships, into the way that we talk to one another, to the way that we treat our coworkers, our boss, the people in our, on, our, on our campus, the way that we relate when the referee blows the call. You know what I'm saying? All these things, I'm working on that. The way that we treat the person that cuts you off and then drives slow. You know what I'm talking about? All those areas, I need the salvation of God to work in those areas because I'm very far from perfect, right? We all need to do that. That's work. And that's the work that the Bible's talking about here. Not work to earn your salvation. Work that salvation out into every area of your life. What area of your life has the salvation of God not really worked in yet? Maybe it's in your marriage, and that's why the marriage is strained. Maybe it's in the way that we talk to our kids. That's why there's tension there. Maybe it's the way that we talk to our boss or do business or file our taxes, which is coming up. I mean, what are those areas in our lives where we have not allowed the word of God yet to work into because we may think, what's the big deal? I'm going to heaven. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yeah, but everybody else sees how funky that looks in your life. Everybody else sees the bitterness. Everybody else sees the selfishness. Everybody else sees those fits of rage and anger and all that. And they're going, oh. And then you go, hey, you want to come to church with me? They're going, why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Because it sure doesn't do nothing for you. They see the way that we talk to our spouses. See the way that we treat the waitress or the barista. And they go, Wow, I thought you were a Christian. You see Christians as they go to eat lunch after church and don't tip. You know what I mean? They see those things and they go, wait, I thought you all were supposed to be different. You're supposed to be like him. But if we just drop Jesus in and we expect transformation, everybody else goes, dude, that's an ugly cake. I don't want that. And we're not able to bring heaven to earth. We need to work it in our lives so that we can bring heaven to earth in our lives first. And then as we go out in this place, we get to bring heaven to earth everywhere we go. That's the goal. Sadly, far too few Christians have done that. I've said this before, but eight, eight out of 10 unbelievers or atheists say the main reason for their atheism or their non-belief is the hypocrisy that they see in Christians. It's the failure of Christians to work their salvation into every area of their lives. One of the saddest statistics right now, I think it's something like 63% of kids that grow up in church leave the faith when they're adults. You know that? That's sad and that's scary. Part of the reason why is they see the hypocrisy in their parents. Yeah, I know we went to church on Sunday and we smiled and we said, praise the Lord. And we sang songs like God is good. But I saw how you were when you went home. I saw how you treated people. I saw how you lived. Because no one knows us better than our kids. Amen. They see everything. They're watching. It scares me. But, you know, but that should motivate us. I need to work that stuff out. Or we're going to lose the next generation. Why is this important? Not so that, why, why does sanctification matter? Not to make God love us. He already loves us. And he wants us to bring heaven to earth through our lives. That's why we got to work on this. And this takes work. He said it. Continue to work out your salvation or work that into every area of your life so that you can shine among this crooked generation like stars. They go, man, what's, what's different about you? Oh, my God, why are you so forgiving? Why are you so merciful? Why did you say please? Why did you say thank you? Why did you hold the door? Why did you forgive that person? Why are you generous? Why do you go to church on Sunday? All the things that we do, all these practices are not to make God love us more. It's to bring heaven to earth in our lives so that others can see him through us. Remember I said earlier, God's not going to reveal himself to sinners. Not in his full glory because they'll be consumed. He loves them too much to do that. He wants to reveal himself through you and through me. That when we go to, around our friends and our family, they see something different in you and in me. Therefore, we have to. We have to work this out in our lives. And it takes work. It takes intentionality. And that's why we do church the way that we do. It's not just about coming and sitting and listening. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you guys are watching online. But that's, that's, that's a good start. But unless we get around people who can help us work on ourselves, we're going to stay where we are. 
And there are a lot of, sadly, a lot of people who've been exactly the same as they've been 20 years ago when they walked in the door. I'm not saying that because I know, okay, I'm just saying just in general, okay? I'm not talking about you. I know it's like, Pastor, you're talking about me. How'd you know? I'm like, because your wife told me, you know? No, I'm just kidding. That never happens. That never happens. But we, but, but we feel like that because the Holy Spirit's convicting us, but we can't stay that way. People need to see change in us. Can I hear an amen? Therefore, we must partner with Christ. Last point as we come to a close. We must partner with the Spirit to be transformed into the image of Christ. We need his help. We need to partner with him. And all the spiritual practices of prayer, worship, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, going to small group to talk about stuff, right? Going to prayer meetings, fasting, all the spiritual practices are not to make God love us more. It's to help us to live more like him. It's to help us to deny our flesh. When you don't want to go to small group and you say, I'm going to do it anyway because I know it's the right thing to do. And I hear this all the time. I'm so glad I came. I wasn't going to come tonight, but I'm so glad I'm here. We were just talking about this at our small group the other night. Every one of the guys was like, yeah, I never let go small group. (laughs) My wife was like, you got to go small group. I ain't going to that. And now they're leading small groups. Why is that? Because they're working out their salvation and something's changing on the inside. All of us should have a story like that. What area of your life? Does God need to work that salvation into? It takes intention. It takes consistency as we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I want to close with this illustration. Close with this illustration here. Thank you, my brother Julius, helping me out. This is Julius, by the way. This is, this is Mel's brother. Woo! The Lagutan family is powerful, man. They're, they're just good people. I want, to close with this, I want to close with this illustration. All right, God fully intended for us if you remember my message from last week, to live like this, where we are, our lives are full and blessed in the presence of God, right? Pure, holy, his presence lives inside of us, and now we can live the lives and thrive as he called us to, pure, holy, and clean. I was told I need to put my iPad away, amen. But here's what happens. Here's what sin does. Sin taints that. Sin taints our lives, and, and it ends up staining it. My fingers aren't long enough. All right, it ends up staining our lives. And now rather than the pure, holy, blessed life that God's created for us to live in, it kind of looks more like this. I don't know about you. I don't want to drink this because red 40 is bad for you, I hear, all right? It's not good. And this is the sin in our lives. And we go around going, you need Jesus. And they're looking at us like, bruh, sure looks like you need Jesus. So we come to church and we think, man, if I just add a little bit of Jesus to my life, I'll be good, right? Not really. I thought if I give my life to Jesus, I'll be transformed. I added a little bit of Jesus. I went to church, you know, a couple times, even every week. Look at that. I'm overflowing with Jesus. Look at that. But if you, if you, the longer you've been a Christian, you realize I still got some junk in there. Anybody want to be honest? Still some bitterness, still some anger, still some lust, still some pride. And this is where a lot of people get discouraged. They go, you know what? This doesn't work. Oh, I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, I'm just going to go back to my old life because, you know, whatever. But here's the reality. This is what working out your salvation looks like. It's not just adding a little bit of Jesus. It's continuing to pour more and more of Jesus into your life. As we read the Bible, as we pray, as we worship, as we come to church, as we go to small group, as we, as we fast and as we deal with some of our issues, look what happens. It starts to get a little bit lighter, doesn't it? You start to feel like, man, I'm a little bit better than I used to be. Man, I'm not as bitter as I used to be. But here's the danger. Some of us stop there. We go, you know, what? I'm doing better. I can go back to my life now. I can go live however I want. But guess what people see? Yeah, you're a little better, but there's still some funk in there. 
The reality is we need to stay under the spigot of God's presence over and over, continually coming to church, continuing to worship, continuing to pray, continuing to read the Bible. Come on, somebody help me. Continuing to fast, continuing to seek him, continuing to meditate on his word over and over and over and over. And sometimes it gets boring, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes your arms get tired. Sometimes you just want to quit. Sometimes you wonder, man, is this ever going to change? We're getting there, amen. Is my life ever gonna change? Am I ever gonna experience joy and fullness and peace and, and, and the freedom from anxiety? But you know what ends up happening? You keep being consistent. You, may, you don't even realize it, but you've changed a ton. But here's what happens. Other people notice. They go, whoa, you're not as grouchy as you used to be. You're not as selfish as you used to be. Man, you let the person cut in front of you in traffic, whoa, right? <laughs> you didn't give the bird, you gave the shaka. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, you're changing. Your boss starts to notice, your coworkers start to notice, your friends start to notice, and they go, what happened to you? And you go, I'm just a wonderful person. No, hopefully you go, Jesus showed up in my life and his word changed me, amen? In the last service, I was worried I was gonna run out of water, but even that could have been an illustration, you know? Just, Spirit is unlimited. <laughs> but um, this, is, this is what happens. This is what sanctification is like. Don't get bored midway. Don't get frustrated midway when you see just a little bit of progress, but it's not enough. Stay in his presence. Stay with the spiritual disciplines. Keep letting the water of the Holy Spirit wash you through his word, through worship, through all the things that, that, that Christians do. It's not perfunctory, and it's not to earn his love. It's, trans, it's meant to transform us. And if you're here today, you say, man, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I'm still dealing with that bitterness. Well, then you need to intentionally now work your salvation into that area of bitterness. That's a small group's for to help us do that. You're still dealing with lust. Well, then we need to apply even more intentionality in that area, whatever it is, so that other people look at us and say, man, I remember how messed up you were. What happened? And we can say, he's good. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about this Jesus and what he did for me and what he can do for you. Amen. Please don't quit midway. Please don't give up midway because the world needs to see the work of sanctification in you and in me so that they can know him. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me as we come to a close? Father, we thank you for your word that challenges all of our lives, that reveals to us the depths of our sinfulness and the greatness of your love. You never expected us to figure this out on our own. You always wanted us to trust in your grace and your goodness. And so Jesus, this morning, thank you for a renewed, hopefully, perspective of sin, your holiness, and also your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you, Jesus, for being the sacrifice in our place so that we can stand before God holy and righteous and experience his goodness and blessing. Help us, God, to allow you to continue to work in every area of our lives. We pray this today in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.